0: Need a high end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. I could not be more pleased that summer is here. I love the heat. I love the pools. I love the beach. I love walking outside with no shoes on. In fact, I can't even be bothered to put on shoes i'm like walking around main street and Dobbs ferry uh going to pick up my salad for lunch going to pick up some decor items for my window and i'm just walking barefoot and i mean it is small town usa but come on people drop glass bottles but i don't even care i've got to be barefoot i walk right into my office i take off my flip flops people come in they're like my you're casual yes Yes, I am. It's summer. I've got my pants rolled up. I've got my t-shirt on. And I am here with you, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I am at the office on the weekend, which is not typically my MO. But I am here redecorating my windows for summer. And when I'm redecorating my windows, the effect that I want it to have is that I want it to, of course, draw people's eye. I'm here on Main Street. There's lots of storefronts. There's lots of things to look at. And I want mine to grab their attention. Of course, it still has to be aspirational and beautiful and interesting. But most of all, I want it to be colorful. In fact, each season, so four times a year, I redecorate my window. I give myself a budget of between $75 and $150, depending on the season. Christmas or that winter season, Hanukkah, that usually takes a lot more money. These summer months are typically a little bit easier to design for. So typically what I do is I head to Michael's, I have my budget, I have my coupons, I go down the aisle and I just see what inspires me. What's on sale? What's colorful? What matches with our logo? What is fun and fresh, but not too expensive? So typically, that's what I do. And that's what I did yesterday with my kids. My kids were actually already in their pajamas. And I said, kids, we've got to maximize our time. We're headed out for vacation here in a bit. And I have no time to find things for my windows. It's already July. I can't be – well, it's almost July. I cannot be uh, letting this languish. i got to get on it. So I took them in their pajamas – I did make my daughter put a dress on over her pajamas and we headed to Michael's and we strolled the aisles and we found things and of course they had lots of ideas, which is how I ended up with glitter pool noodles in my window. You know, it really unleashes my creativity, I just let my mind wander, I try not to think about it. But at the same time, people are judging us. They're judging my company on what I put in the windows and how I put it together. Uh, But it was so funny. Right after we went to Michael's, we went to the Christmas tree store. And I rarely go in there because I do associate it with Christmas trees, even though, of course, we all know that's really not what it is. But it just doesn't occur to me to go there based on the name alone. But we needed some things for summer. We needed some, like rings for diving in the pool on our vacation, so I went there, and I realized they have amazing decor. Like, what was I doing at Michael's all these years? The Christmas tree store has really great prices, you don't even need a coupon, and they had more sophisticated items, less crafty items, that I think my clientele would be really drawn to. You know, rather than going for glitter pool noodles and brightly colored beach buckets, I could have been going for like worn wood anchors and like beachy rustic Joanna Gaines type things. And I think that would have more of appeal. Well I'd already spent my full budget at Michael's. I'd already gone in a hot pink and teal direction and there was just no way to dial it back and incorporate these really cool faded starfish and light powder blues and icy beach glass greens. I just couldn't go back and I didn't have time. Uh, It was already past the kids bedtime as you know from the PJ comment. I did not have time to go return all this stuff. So I decided to stay in my lane and stay with the Michaels stuff and just keep in the back of my brain that the Christmas tree shop is truly a find. Well, by the time I got to my windows this morning and I unpacked all my items, I realized that those muted beachy tones… those pastels… those really cool washed woods… those galvanized buckets they wouldn't have popped in the window, like my hot pink glitter beach balls, like my hot pink sand buckets, and my hot pink paper poofs. And I did tone it down with some silvery glitter and also my teal beach buckets. But I just realized that even though my clients would be more inclined to go with that beachy, soothing style it really wouldn't have popped in my windows. So that's something to think about. You know, what is your goal with your design project? If you do have a retail space, it might be to catch people's eye. If you have a beach house that you're trying to rent out on Airbnb, you may want to incorporate some things that pop because those really muted beachy palettes that we love so much in person don't have a lot of personality in a commercial application. They're not going to pop. They're not going to draw your eye to them. So you want to be thinking about interesting patterns, a couple bold colors. For instance, my 60 30 10 in my window, because I always want to align with my branding as well. I have the deep blue. I got this amazing water paper at Michael's, like these huge rolls of paper that look like the ocean. What? What? For 10 bucks. Uh, so anyway, I got that, which really corresponds with the deep blues, the navies, teals in my logo. Then I got the teal. So the teal would be my 30% uh, with the beach buckets and these cool foam discs. And then I got my um, 10% pops, which are those hot pink touches that will really make this super cool palette sing. Because when you do have an entirely cool 60-30-10, while it can be quite tranquilizing and comfortable... While it might be aspirational for a lazy beach house, it's not going to capture people's imaginations like a mix of cool and warm tones in your 60 30 10. So today, while I was up on a ladder in my windows, cutting down the pastel colors from spring and putting up these hot summer pops, I was feeling really good about the Michaels choices I had been regretting the night before. Because as I was putting them up, people were walking by, they were stopping, that hot pink 10% was really grabbing them, and then they were able to take in my 60 and my 30 So keep that in mind when you're designing your beach house, your Airbnb rental, your retail shop window, even your home. All right, time for a mailbag. I have a lot of amazing questions that have been coming in and I am ready to tackle them. My first is from Amanda. She writes, Hi Betsy, I have two questions for the podcast. One, I love the look of a jute rug and have seen it pictured under a bed, but I just can't imagine that it's comfy. I want to step out of bed onto something soft in the morning. Can you recommend another type of rug that looks similar but feels better? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. So I completely agree with you that jute, even if... It is a soft jute, which is not an oxymoron, but jute just isn't that comfortable. It's not that sumptuous. It doesn't make you want to jump out of bed and wiggle your toes in it, unless you're hoping for exfoliation of your calluses. I love the simplicity of a jute, and I think the thing that really makes a jute stick out is its texture, is its nubby woven texture. And that's something you can definitely find in other textures of rug. Uh, The first thing I might say is that Pottery Barn Teen has fake sisal looking rugs. And sisal is very similar to jute in that it's a woven natural fiber. So Pottery Barn Teen, it's not just for teens people. I find so much gold there for myself, for my storefront. You know, so fun. They have these large rugs that look like sisal rugs that are even bordered just like a traditional sisal rug, but you can get it bordered in these fun colors. You can get like a teal border, a pink border, a navy border. They might even have a cream one. But they look very much like that natural texture, but it's much softer. I think it's a wool derivative. Another way that you could go, if you really like that chunky jute look is that they do have like some woven type sweater rugs. I know West Elm has a few. And if you just type in woven rug or sweater rug, you'll get that kind of braided texture, that cable knit look without the scratchy feel. The key is just to look at what the rug is made out of, because sometimes it will look nubby and braided, but it will actually be wool or acrylic or nylon, which is definitely going to be softer, more plush than that natural jute. So just think about what you really are attracted to with the rug. I have a feeling it's not the natural texture. I have a feeling it's more that nubby look. Alright, your next question is, Betsy, I really want to buy the Atwell metal canopy bed at Pottery Barn for my bedroom, but I am worried that it will make the room look smaller because the ceiling is 112 inches high. There's also a ceiling fan that comes down 17 inches at its farthest point from the ceiling. The ceiling fan would be very close to the end of the canopy bed, but it would not touch it. The bed would have to go in exactly one spot in the bedroom because there are two windows on the back wall that leave exactly that amount of space that is needed for the king bed, and all of the other walls have doors, closets, bathroom, etc. Any advice you can give me would be appreciated. Thank you, Amanda. All right, Amanda, I have a very clear plan of action for you. I don't mind a canopy bed, even in a room that has eight foot ceilings, and yours are closer to 10 feet. I think that a large bed, and of course, a canopy bed gives a bed prominence in a room, makes the bed feel quite large. I think that a large bed can make a bedroom, whether it's small or whether it's tall like yours, feel so sumptuous, so grandiose, so fabulous, because truly a bedroom is typically all about the bed. I don't mind that choice at all. The only thing that would sway my opinion is that you do have this ceiling fan, and I think the heights are fine. The fact that it wouldn't conflict is fine. But because the ceiling fan comes down, Or really any light fixture that would come down, be it a chandelier, a pendant, because it does hang down, it needs to be in a place that it would be centered on the canopy bed. If its placement is such that it would not be centered on the canopy bed from side to side, in other words, when you're looking straight on at the bed, it needs to be centered on the width of the bed, not the length of the bed. But if that is not the case in your room, you cannot have a canopy bed. Because the bed is going to draw your eye up because it has those tall poles, it's drawing your eye up. And then you'll notice conspicuously that, hey, that ceiling fan is way off center of the bed. And the bed, as you've mentioned, can only have one placement in the room. That would be my decision maker. If that fixture cannot be centered on the bed, I would not do a canopy bed. Rather, I would just do another type of bed. And if you're looking for that super grand moment, that opulence, that regal feel, go for an extremely high headboard. A typical headboard is between 45 and 55 inches high. So if you went for something that's 55 to 85, that is going to give you that wow, that punch, that real regal feel without making it look awkward that the ceiling fan is off-center. I hope that helps, Amanda. Let me move right along to my next question, which comes from Jamie. Jamie writes, Hi Betsy, thank you once again for answering my questions about the Skittles effect. I'm so excited to let the colors flow now that you've clarified my misunderstanding. I was also glad to hear that the mailbag is light. That's all the encouragement I needed to ask you another question. This time, it's about mixing wood tones. Your book mentions that when selecting furniture, one needs to stick with all dark woods, all medium tone woods, or all light woods. However, in every other aspect of design, contrast is king. So I'm confused about this rule, and I'm also unsure about what to do with our kitchen table. We have an open concept kitchen living dining space and have light maple cabinets. My husband is developing his carpentry skills and just made me a breathtaking hexagon side table with a walnut top and ambrosia maple legs. See the photo I attached. He will be constructing a built-in banquette seating with a six-foot table and we are trying to determine what shade to stain the table. Our style is comfy contemporary. Initially, we were planning on staining the table the same walnut shade as the side table to contrast with those light kitchen cabinets. But I have started second-guessing this when I read that section of your book. His carpentry friends seem to value light and dark contrast in furniture construction, so I am stuck. I would love your professional opinion to clarify this conundrum. Thank you, Jamie. And Jamie, you sent a picture of this beautiful side table, and it is truly breathtaking. I think your husband is very talented, and I could definitely see buying a few of these on Etsy for my clientele. Let me answer your question. Unless you have a very eclectic point of view, you should not be mixing wood tones. And not specific wood tones, let me clarify. Wood families. Mixing wood families can make things look frenzied in a room, and when I'm talking about contrast as king, I'm meaning contrast in textures. So that means not just using all wood, but rather shaking it up and using stone, using fabric, using glass, using metal, so that the space feels more holistically complete, it feels more visually complex, and I do not want it looking like you shopped at the wood store for everything in your home. And that is where your husband's friends who are in carpentry and I would probably have a um, tete-a-tete, a little bit of a shakedown, because uh, they love wood, right? They would love everything in their home to be wood. I think if you ask them, they would say, let's make everything out of wood. And that becomes too dense, too heavy. And in that case, they are trying to do two-tone because they are desperate for it to be less homogenous, less dark oppressive and wood color feeling so they are revering contrast within the wood itself whereas as a designer i am much more drawn to a mix of materials and i think that's where the confusion might begin i hope that has helped to clarify now i can't see you changing this lovely side table it has so much presence i'm sure your husband is very proud as well he should be What I would suggest because this side table is going in the living room is that you repeat this two-tone wood effect and that that becomes the element that gets repeated. That becomes your new color family, right? I would think that maybe that kitchen table is going to be two-toned as well. Uh, I would make the base light again because you have light cabinets and that way you wouldn't have so much light and then make the tabletop dark Because in addition to contrasting with the cabinets, it will also conceal spills, stains when your kids write on it with marker, uh, like mine do. When your kids accidentally use the Sharpie and it goes through the paper, like mine have. Well, there you go. That darker stain will definitely hide those issues. That would be the way I would crack this nut. But I still stick to my guns and I'll take it outside, out back behind the woodshed with your husband's friends that too much wood is oppressive, not appealing, and he should definitely keep crafting with wood, but he should sell more on eBay and put less in your house. You know I keep it real, people. You know I keep it real. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Let's move right along to my next question, which comes from Amanda. Amanda writes, Hi Betsy, I have your book and I love it. I also enjoy listening to your podcasts. I have a quick question for the podcast. I'm trying to figure out my design style. I would say that my style is transitional. But recently, I have seen posts and pins referencing modern classical style. They sound similar to me. Are they the same? What is the difference? Amanda. Amanda, I quickly clicked off to go look up the definition of modern classical design because I've not heard that term. I don't spend a ton of time on Pinterest, which uh, my designers tell me I really need to. But I went down a rabbit hole when I first joined Pinterest and I pinned so many things in one day that they cut me off. They'll like send you an alert and say, hey, you can no longer use our service for 48 hours. Uh, And so then. Three days in a row, well, I had to wait the 48 hours in between, but three times in a row for three sessions, I got cut off for overpinning. I realized I had a problem. Instead of going to Pinterest rehab, I just cut myself off cold turkey and I haven't been back since. Uh, so that was my Pinterest experience. Uh, that being said, I went and looked this up because it was not a term that I have heard. And, you know, we talk with many clients every week and nobody has brought this up. And so I did look it up. And on the sites that I found, they referenced it as transitional. But when I looked up the images, those pins that you might have been referring to, I kind of had a slight difference of opinion on the transitional uh, definition. I think it's a little bit different. So transitional is a blend of traditional and contemporary. Traditional embraces those classic lines, ornate carvings, uh, more monochromatic color palettes, muted patterns, subtle patterns, whereas contemporary has clean lines. Contemporary means of the now. Modern does not actually mean of the now. Modern refers to a style that was popular in the 50s and 60s that was quite austere, that used a lot of lacquer, reflection, very minimal lines, very minimal features, absolutely no ornamentation, uh, geometric patterns at best, mostly solids, some bright colors mixed with blacks and whites. It's a very austere style, whereas contemporary right now is more of that comfortable style, right? The stuff that we're seeing in West Elm that may have a little bit of, um, mid-century modern influence. The stuff we're seeing at Crate and Barrel, which looks sleek and yet not cold, which would harken back to the modernity. So when I was looking at some of these modern classic images that came up when I typed that in, they did have slightly more of that reflective quality, harkening back to that more austere look, but then having some ornate detailing, like a very sleek lacquered coffee table that then has intricate or detailed legs. A very sleek and low sofa that might have some tufting and like an English rolled arm. I thought it was intriguing and embodied a little bit more of that Severity, austerity from the modern style, pairing it with those details and lines of a more classic style. That being said, I wouldn't be mad at you if you also called that transitional, because as we know, transitional is pairing that more traditional, which I think of as a little bit of watered down classical. You know, nobody's going to ever confuse traditional with like Victorian or antiques. That's really an extreme type of traditional. The traditional that we're talking about now is more ballard designs where the um, wood carvings aren't as ornate but still curvy, right? More pottery barn in some moments. Even though pottery barn is definitely moving away from being traditional. And I think of it more as transitional Even eclectic, they have so many eclectic-type pieces, especially with their artwork, wall hangings, their decor, whereas the rugs and things still to me are leaning more transitional than traditional these days. Anyway, Amanda, you know, these style words are so fluid, and depending on who is using them, they mean different things. I don't even really care about the style words because, you know, I'll ask my clients what style resonates with you, but they're typically not using the style words in the textbook way. I certainly hope you have my textbook, Amanda, Affordable Interior Design. Uh, so they're not using it in the textbook way, and I don't really care. I get all the visual element information that I need from looking at their inspiration photos. And that's what I would tell you. Find those inspiration photos that really resonate with you. And don't feel the need to summarize them in one word. Uh, If you're really looking for that word, go ahead. Go ahead and label it. You know, If you want to stick to my two-word rule when you're shopping, um, having the style word and the feeling word, I think that's still a really good guide for designing your space. But I also think, you know, if you feel you have a good eye for design, if you feel your style isn't quite encapsulated by one picture or another, feel free to blend it. You know, in my old age, I'm softening a little bit. Feel free to mix it up, Amanda. Don't be so strict with your terminology. All right, my next question and last question for today comes from Holly. Holly writes, "Betsy, I submitted a mailbag question a while ago. I think it must have gotten lost in the shuffle. I heard on your most recent podcast episode that the mailbag is getting low, so I wanted to resend. Thank you for sharing your design knowledge with us. I listen to your podcast regularly and I have read your book. I learned so much from you. I recently moved and there are a couple of windows that have me stumped regarding the window treatments. I have a window on each side of the fireplace and there is very little room on each side for drapes. In addition, these windows don't get a lot of natural light, so I don't want to use shades that will block much of the window. What do you suggest? I'm also wondering if you have ideas on how to update our fireplace surround pictured below. I was thinking about removing this decorative filigree and perhaps doing a tile feature in that place instead. Should I also consider painting the brick? Or should I leave the brick as is? Thanks from Holly. Holly, you are 100% right that the podcast... Mailbag was getting low, so I asked people to send me questions. While I waited for those to pour in, I did quite a few weeks of interviews because we were low on questions and I decided, wouldn't it be fun to talk to some of my favorite people, my designers, a stager, a businesswoman, and do some interview podcasts in the meanwhile. All that being said, it has caused me to neglect the mailbag, which is now bubbling and popping with lots of fun questions. So I'm sorry that you had to wait for my reply, Holly, and I am on it now. Keep those questions coming because the mailbag is only medium heavy at this point. Now back to your question. Uh, you ask… about the windows. Now, the trick with these windows is that on the left-hand side, you have absolutely no wall space for a bracket. There's only like one inch between the frame of the window and the corner. On the other side, it's asymmetrical. You have, oh, I can't really tell from this picture, but it looks like you have a lot more wall to play with. At least 18 inches, and that's where my picture gets cut off. I would consider even though you don't want to do this because you don't want to lose the natural light, I would consider doing shears that will really allow a lot of that beautiful sunshine to come right in. I would do shears that are swagged. Now, I rarely recommend a swag, but this would be a perfect situation unless, you know what just occurred to me? I'm seeing a pesky little stair, the stairway on the right hand side, overlapping that window frame, meaning that the drapes could not fall all the way to the floor because there would be the stair there and rather they would puddle on that. Forget the swag. Forget it. Scratch it. Come on, Holly. You've got to do shades. You've got to do blinds. You can't have these naked windows here. Now, if you're worried about them cutting into your natural light you could outside mount them, which means not mounting them inside the window box, rather mounting them outside the framing. So that way they become as wide as the frame and the header of the treatment is actually above the window pane. I think that is a really great compromise for you in terms of getting some kind of treatment without encroaching on too much natural light and not having to bother with drapes that will either block that stair puddle on the stair or restrict the airflow because i do see that you have two vents one under each window this is quite challenging and your windows are telling me blinds please outside mounted blinds please let me get to your next question Your fireplace mantle is very chunky. The surround has an ornate carving, but it doesn't look historic. It doesn't look particularly compelling. It looks like maybe something from Home Depot. You know, I'm keeping it real here. It doesn't look very special and it is very chunky. Especially compared to the windows next to it that are much more modestly sized. I would switch out this mantle and go for something that is less chunky, that is less tall above the firebox. um, That is, you know, I can't see your style, so I don't know if you're more contemporary or traditional, but um, something that's just not as imposing, something that isn't as large, basically. I don't love the brick. I think that the brick looks outdated. It looks 80s-tastic. And unless this is a country home or a cabin, I don't think it makes a lot of sense because it does look very country. Let's put it that way. I'm open to you painting the brick, but you do have brick surrounding the fireplace opening as well as on the hearth. I would rather you tile over that. I think that would be much more interesting and I could see doing a similar tile around the fireplace as well as on the hearth. No need to select two separate tiles unless you just want to, but of course that makes it more complicated. And if you do want to do two separate tiles, I would be inclined to do a neutral type tile, gray or beige, on the hearth. And around the fireplace, I might do something that contrasts with that. So maybe it's a color, maybe it is a white or a cream, I think that would look really interesting. But this is something that you want to see what's out there, see what aligns with your budget, because it's not actually offensive, especially if you have a lot of furniture and things around it. I do think that the mirror looks a little odd because you have these two rectilinear windows on either side of this very boxy, chunky square fireplace, and then you've put this small rectilinear mirror that aligns with the top of the windows. I would break up all these hard edges and use a circular mirror that goes well above the window line. I always hate it when things line up with the windows. Whether it be artwork or a mirror, I want it to either be higher than or lower than the windows. And in your case, if it was lower than the windows, because you have such a high uh, mantle It would look really squat. So go for a larger circle. And I think that that will really make the whole moment sing whether or not you do anything with that mantle. Alright guys, it has been a joy talking to you. I'm going to head out and enjoy my weekend. I hope that you enjoy your weekend. And if you do have questions for the mail mag, send them in. Send them in to info at affordableinteriordesign.com. Once again, info at affordableinteriordesign.com. I don't have any interviews coming up and I would love to dive into more of your questions after I hit the beach. P.S. guys. I am about to hop online and record a bonus app. This bonus app is going to be packed with lots of tips. As you guys know, I get lots of press inquiries. Some of them I can answer and some of them I just don't have time to. But I have lots of thoughts and feelings, but I just can't meet the deadline sometimes because I'm working on big projects. Well, there are a few questions that I got from the press that I just wasn't able to answer, but I want to share my answers with you. You, I'm talking about appliances, I'm talking about a small space living, I'm talking about all sorts of fun things. So if you are not a premium member, I want you to go to affordableinteriordesign.com, click on our podcast, and become a premium member ASAP. There are over 50 bonus episodes. One is released each month jam-packed with gold, with tips, with design diary entries that I don't share with anyone else. You won't want to miss it. In fact, heck, I'm about to record it. I think I'm going to throw in a couple of anecdotes about clients I'm working for right this very minute. In fact, I'm going to be designing all night long. So I don't want you to miss any of this goodness. Like I said, go to affordableinteriordesign.com, click on the podcast tab and become a premium member for as little as $5.99 a month. And then of course, if you sign on for six months or a year, it gets much cheaper than that. You get access to all this wonderful content. And uh, also, you support this podcast and keep us on the air. Love that too. So thanks so much to my premium members and I really appreciate all your support. Bye! Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. Bye.